This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. Earlier this year, I was doing a little bit of demo on on our house, and I had to get rid of uh, some old cabinets. And uh, some of the cabinets were screwed into the wall, and that was a challenge to get screws that were into the wall that had been painted, that had been there for a really long time. And then there were also some of the cabinets were nailed to the wall. And so, you know, I started uh, trying to figure, well, how do I get these cabinets off? If you go from the wood to the, uh, the drywall, you're going to damage the drywall, just pulling them out, right? So somehow I've got to get those, those nails that are through the wood into the wall, got to get them dislodged. But, you know, my initial thought was, well, just get a hammer, right? You got the backside of the hammer, that little deal. And, but I'm realizing I, I can't, I can't this, these nails are so down deep inside the, the board in the, in the cabinet, I can't hook it down in there. So I'm thinking, what do you do? So what do you do? YouTube. I go to YouTube and say, how do you get nails out of a wall, right? Because normally a nail, like if you're pulling it out of a fence, it's rusty. It's kind of pushed out a little bit. So you can get that hammer claw and pull it out. But if you have nails that are all the way pushed in, what do you do? Well, ever heard of a cat's paw? Cat's paw. It's a little device. It looks uh, like a crowbar, but it's small. And it's got one of those hammer pries, but it's real small. And what you do is you put that, let's say this is the nail. You put the cat's paw right here like this, and then you pound it with a hammer, and it gets a little bit of leverage in there, a little bit of space, and then you can kind of crank it this way. And with that little tiny tool, it's a little piece of metal, it's no longer than just my my forearm, with that little tool, the job becomes very simple. Something that I was thinking, how, if I pull this thing out of the the cabinet, it's it's gonna break the whole deal. But with this little tool, with a little bit of leverage and a little wedge that was used to get that nail up and going out, I was able to get all those cabinets out of my house in, in a good amount of time. Just having a little tool gave me power that I didn't have on my own. Okay, so what's the parallel here? What's the tool that God is wanting to encourage us with so that we can have power that Paul talks about in this passage? What's that tool? It begins with P. It's the name of the whole sermon series, right? What is it? Prayer. Prayer gives us power, and he he shares with us in this passage, he shares with us that we are strengthened with with power. That's our first point in the sermon, if we look at the the first verses. Strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Strengthened with power. I mean, here's the thing. Why is Paul just so adamant with us about, about prayer? Why is, he, uh, why is it such an important thing for Paul? Well, when we think about Paul, and you remember last uh, school year, we studied the book of Romans, right? And we go through Romans, and we're learning all this theological truth, and I said that it was a love letter, but man, it is a, it is a dense theological treatise that we can study and reflect upon, and we see the, the, the brilliance of Paul's arguments that are inspired by the Holy Spirit. But Paul also, even though he is a great theologian, he is actually a mighty man of prayer. Paul tells us that the kingdom of God is about power in 1 Corinthians. And what is it that gives power to Paul's ministry? It's prayer. 
Paul has a ministry of power because he ministers in prayer. He, he, uh, he left no doubt about his missionary strategy because of his 14 epistles, we encounter a staggering number of prayers, prayer requests, and even exhortations to pray. Like he said last week, be anxious about nothing but in prayer and petition. Paul prays 65 times. He refers to prayer another 22 times in his letters. This includes uh, 45 benediction and doxological prayers, along with 20 prayers of blessing. He writes 11 encouragements to pray, four teachings on how to pray, and seven prayer requests. Paul is a man of prayer. Paul is a man of prayer. And so when we think about the challenges in life that we have to undergo, when we think about our role as ministers of the gospel, people who serve God by serving others through the gospel, our ministry must include an aspect of vital prayer if we're going to flourish in this life. And so Paul is sharing with us in this section that he is praying, he says, first of all, for this reason, if you look at verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. For this reason. Well, what is it, uh, is the reason? Well, he's been emphasizing, as I mentioned earlier, the, the, the riches that we have in Christ, our position in Christ is given to us because of what Jesus has done. And we have access to a heavenly father, a loving God who cares for us, who is just, who is right, who never mistreats us, who never ignores us, who never, never will let us go. And he's reminding them that they have this heavenly father. He says, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. I love the family language that's included in the Bible all throughout. The people of God are a family. And there's going to be people from every tribe and tongue and nation together with God in heaven, worshiping him in spirit and in truth. And so he is saying to us in this prayer that Paul, that our church would be strengthened with power. Strengthened with power. That's the first point in the sermon. Strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. So what does it mean to be strengthened? How does one become strong? Usually when we think of getting strong, well, one of the first things we think of is someone who can lift something really heavy. Right? What's your bench press? How many push-ups can you do? What's your squat? Right? How, you know, how, how much can you lift? And then for a little community in our world, that's the most important thing. Right? Do you have any gains? How much protein have you had today? Right? How big and strong are you? And how do you become strong? Well, you have to sleep, you have to get rest, you have to eat lots and lots of protein, you have to work out your muscles in such a way to break them down so that when they're resting, they're growing back up and they're able to do the function that you're performing. And so like, if you wanna get really strong to lift lots of weight, you do one kind of lifting. If you wanna get really big and massive and like Mr. Olympia, like me, you do a different kind of weight, right? <laughs> my boys love to lift. So, but when you exercise your body, it makes the muscles break down. But then they get rebuilt back up with, uh, with the nutrients and the rest that you're experiencing. So that's the strength when we, when we think about that. But that's not just the only way to be strong, right? We know people who are emotionally strong, right? They've been through a lot of difficulty. They face a lot of heartbreak in sorrow and sadness, and that 
challenge, that emotional challenge that they've experienced in life has not led them to be broken down and beat up, but has in fact actually strengthened them so that when they face difficult things that are emotional or, or hardship, they don't fall apart, but rather they're able to face that in a, in a beneficial way. They don't react emotionally to every difficulty that comes along because they've strengthened their emotion. One of the Paul things that Paul says is to be strengthened in power spiritually. Paul is, is writing to us because he wants us to be strengthened in, in, in power spiritually. So how does that happen? We face challenging spiritual experiences in our life. Right? We face doubts. We wonder, is this whole thing really true? I, I saw a study yesterday that said that belief in God is decreasing in America. Is it really a true story? Is Jesus actually who he says he is? Can I really believe this? Can I really live my life for this guy who was so long ago with all these words that are so old-fashioned? Is it really true? And when we read through the word of God and we see that Jesus is faithful and we see that it's really true, then our faith, our spiritual strength is strengthened and we have a sense of power. And it's not the kind of power that, that, that is used to overwhelm other people. To get what we want, it's, it's the kind of power that's released, that's extended to other people who don't have power, people that need to be lifted up, people that lack uh, physical strength to be able to function daily. We will come alongside them with our spiritual power to come alongside to serve them. People that lack emotional power, we come alongside them to encourage them. And when they're falling apart, we can step in because we have spiritual power that's been given to us by God. And we say, we want to minister to you and care for you in this moment where you're facing challenge and struggle. And I know it's hard, but I want you to know that the Bible, that Jesus is true, and I'm going to be with you. We step in because we have spiritual power, and the way that we get spiritual power is to pray. Paul is praying this for us. He wants us to be stronger spiritually. He's praying that for the Ephesian church, I think if Paul was here today, he'd be praying that for us. I'm praying that for you. And we can also pray that for ourselves. That's a good and decent prayer to pray, that I would have spiritual strength to be able to face the challenges of this life. What's fascinating to me, though, is that notice that Paul doesn't pray for them to get a new job. He doesn't say, man, and then, you know, uh, Josephus, I pray. I know he doesn't like working down at the horse stable. I pray that he can work over, you know, in the field somewhere. I don't, you know, he gets and needs a new job. He doesn't pray for them to do better in school. I hope that Joseph gets an A in Hebrew this year. He doesn't pray for anyone to be healed from cancer. He's not lifting up their depression. He's not praying that the government would protect them and not per persecute them. He's not praying that they wouldn't experience suffering. He's praying for strength in their inner being. Now, I'm not saying that those prayers that we make and offer on behalf of other people are inappropriate in any way. It is a good thing to pray for your child's academic success or maybe pray for the resiliency and the courage to do the work to have academic success. We want to pray for the people who are injured around us or who are facing physical uh, disease. We certainly want to pray because we believe that God can answer those prayers and literally heal them in a moment. We do pray for those things. But that's not what Paul is praying for. 
And it's really rare in all of Paul's prayers that he would pray for something like that. And so I think that's something that's important for us, is to include and to continue in those kinds of prayers that we already make. But man, if we don't pray for the strength of our brothers and sisters spiritually, we're not praying in a way that Paul would suggest for us to pray. And then what does that lead to? Then we're not thinking about it, and they're not experiencing it. And so part of this summer series is to begin to think about prayer in new ways so that we would grow as people of prayer. So we're not doing the same prayer every single night. When I was a kid, this is my prayer every night. Dear Lord, I pray for me, Mom, Dad, and Joel. Me, my mom, my dad, and my brother Joel. Every single time it started that same way, that we would do well. Me, Mom, Dad, and Joel. And yeah, that's great. You pray for your mom and your dad and your brother. Keep doing it. But what are we praying for? What are we praying for for us? I pray, Lord, I would have spiritual strength to be able to discern the times, to be able to act faithfully in a wild season that we're in, in a world of violence and difficulty and discouragement that I would be spiritually strong. Lord, please give me the strength because I don't have it in myself. It's like the guy who went to take his cabinets down and didn't know how to do it. He found the right tool that made it easy to do. When we engage in prayer, I'm not saying your life is going to be easy, but we'll have the power of God at work within us. And that's what Paul's praying for the church, and it's what he's praying for us, and it's what I'm praying for you. Because, you see, Paul knows that the the power of prayer isn't in solving our problems. It's not in fixing the issues that we've either gotten ourselves into or that someone else is enforcing upon us. And although prayer can do that, the power of prayer comes in giving us a sense of the presence of God. And that's really the most important thing that we need. And all this talk about mindfulness in our culture today is to say, let me be present. What we really need is the presence of God. Not just more of myself in the moment, but more of God in the moment. More of my understanding that as I face this difficult decision, I know that God is with me. What would Jesus have me to do in this moment? How would Jesus have me order my life right now? How would he have me to think about this? How would he use his presence in my life to use as a guardrail to keep me on the right track? You see, that it also reminds us that here's the thing, friends. I mean, God's presence is literally actually with us every single moment of every single day. If you've ever been on a retreat, if you've ever gone somewhere with a church group or on a, on a solo journey and you really wanted to get in touch with God and you felt like, wow, I'm going to go pray on a mountainside and you sense the presence of God, does that mean that God is not at work in your suburban neighborhood? Say no, somebody. He is at work in East Memphis, Germantown, the Mid-South, wherever you live, on, in, on your street, in your house. Now, you can maybe connect with him more on a mountaintop because you're away from the distractions of this life. So part of that is to say, how do I experience the presence of God as I'm going along my day? And it's through prayer, dedicated, earnest prayer. And then he says, he prays for them for strengthened understanding. He says that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and depth and length and height and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He's praying for more strength. 
And this time, the strength to comprehend, to actually understand, and to give us an ability that we don't have on our own to know cognitively, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, the love of God. To feel that love of God. To experience that love of God. He says to be rooted and grounded in love. That means our position is that of favor with God through our relationship with Jesus Christ. Right? This heavenly father has sacrificed everything to give us a relationship with himself. And he's wanting us to, rem- he wants to remind us of that, to teach us that, to show us that so that we would really experience it and that it would manifest itself in every aspect of who we are, that the foundation of who we are would be based on God's infinite love for us in Christ. And the fountain of what flows in and through us is the glorious, majestic love of Jesus, the deep, deep love of Jesus. This love has breadth, which means it's, it's wide, it's so far from end to end that we can't even see it. This love has length. It is, it is long. There, there's no amount of traveling going this way and this way and this way that we can see everything that it entails. It has height. It's so tall. There's no ladder or stairway or rocket that could ever take us to its height. It has depth. It is deep. There is no uh, special high-pressure submarine that could ever get down to the depths of the power and the love of God. It's it's an infinity abyss that is filled with the love of God that God wants us to experience and to rejoice in. You know, last summer we went to the West Coast and, you know, uh, living in Florida, you go to the beach all the time and it's, it's amazing to see the ocean, you know, lined up, but there's something different about the Pacific. It's, it's cooler and there's mountain ranges going up one side and cliffs you go drive past Big Sur and there's all this curvy road and you can just look out on the vast ocean and that just gives you like a sense of the significance and the mass of the amount of water that covers the earth it's amazing and you you can drive all the way down uh, the Pacific Coast Highway and it's just it's just more and more ocean but imagine if you launched in a rocket and you looked down on earth and you would see how small and insignificant the earth is what seems so vast and amazing to us is actually insignificant in all of the universe. You know, isn't it funny how uh, most of our lives we spend thinking about our life and how we can improve ourselves and our situation, and that leads us to discomfort and disconnection? But if you go to the Grand Canyon and you see something majestic and glorious that makes you feel small, it's actually kind of therapeutic. Why is that? Because it's a taste of the infinity of God that there's this sovereign Lord of the universe that wants to be in relationship with us and we see his glory on display, we're moved, but we're also comforted. And so in light of the challenge that you face, what's the thing that's causing you anxiety today? What's the issue that is on your heart that just doesn't, just keeps rearing its head each night when you lay awake or what wakes you up at three o'clock in the morning? What's that thing? There's something for all of us or maybe there's many things for all of us Bring that with you to the, to the vast ocean that is God's love and to say, Lord, help me with this in light of your majesty and your grace and your power and your sovereignty and your eternity. Well, that brings peace. That's the kind of strength that, we're, that we need. You see, part of our problem is that we're just trying to figure out how do we solve our problem by looking into a tiny little screen as though this little thing has the answer to the the problems of life. 
when instead we can go outside and see the majesty of God's creation. That's where our solution is. Now, not in creation itself, but because there's a creator. Because the God who is has made it to reveal his glory. And if we develop this practice, then we are to be, he says, filled with the fullness of God. Filled with all the fullness of God. You know, I've heard that, uh, that nature abhors a vacuum. I know I don't like vacuuming either. Dad joke Sunday on Father's Day. Now, why does nature abhor a vacuum? Uh, explains why water or air will automatically flow into an empty space. And the divine nature abhors a vacuum. God wants us to experience his fullness. It says, filled unto all the fullness of God. That's the actual literal translation. Filled unto all the fullness of God. This means that our, our full, we are filled with the Holy Spirit, which uh, Paul begins to unpack later on in Ephesians in chapter 5. And that the measure of our fullness is God himself. It's kind of tragic when we use the wrong measurements to examine our own spiritual life. When we, we maybe compare ourselves to someone who's not as far along in faith and we say, well, I'm better than they are. But the standard is not anyone else. The standard for measurement is Jesus. And here's the thing. Jesus wants to fill us with his Holy Spirit so that we can be made full in Christ. And now there's a sense in which because of Jesus, we are already full in Christ, right? We know that positionally, relationally, we are in Christ. That means we have the fullness of God in Christ. We are complete in him. But practically speaking, we only enjoy the grace that we understand by faith. All of the resources are there. Jesus is there for us. But because of distraction in this world, because of frustration, because of our own struggle, we don't experience all the fullness of the grace of God. In Ephesians 5, Paul talks about this fullness. He says, be filled with the Spirit. This is a command for all Christians, not just like smart Christians or educated Christians or faithful Christians, the good ones. It's a command for all Christians. Be filled with the Spirit of God. It's an experience that we should constantly enjoy. And when we don't enjoy, we have to explore, what is it that I'm valuing and treasuring that's holding me back from really knowing and loving the, the God who loves me? You see, the verb fill has nothing to do with contents or quantity as though we're empty vessels needing a required amount of spiritual fuel to get going. In the Bible, filled means controlled. Like in uh, Luke chapter 4, it says they were filled with wrath. They were controlled by their anger. That's the reason why they wanted to kill Jesus. Uh, In Acts 13, it says the Jews were filled with envy. They were opposed to the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. So when Paul says to be filled with the Spirit, he says be controlled constantly by the Spirit. Your mind, your emotions, your will, all aspects of who you are should be filled, controlled by the Spirit. Uh, So yesterday, last night, I went and saw the movie uh, Top Gun Maverick. And uh, there's a scene in the movie. You know, Top Gun is all about flying planes in the Navy. But finally, they did something with a boat in, in the movie. There's this scene where they're sailing. And at one point, this is not going to, like, if you haven't seen it yet, it's not going to blow the movie for you, trust me. Um, but they're wanting to go faster. And so they use a sail called a spinnaker, right? You have a foresail and an aft sail. I'm not a sailor. Hopefully none of you are to fact check me on this stuff. 
But there's this big, uh, colorful sail that gets unfurled when you're going downwind, like when you're going with the wind, and it's big, and it allows you to go with great speed. And so when I was thinking about this passage this morning, you know, what does it mean for us to be filled? What does it mean for us to be controlled? It's as though there's this huge unfurled sail that, that allows us to be filled and driven and moving through the headwaters by the Spirit of God. And the way that we access that, the way that we experience that, that God takes us by His Spirit, the wind of His Spirit, the breath of His air in our lives, is, is not that we turn on the engine and try to crank it up and go. It's not rowing with a boat and pulling harder against the, the current. It's simply to open up that sail and allow God to breathe into that sail and to move us in the direction that He wants us to go. And that sail is prayer. It's just taking some time today to sit down by yourself, put the phone on, do not disturb, turn off the TV, send the kids uh, to their room for a quiet time, and to say, I want to sit and listen to what my father has to say about who I am. I'm just going to spend some time every day this week listening to who the father says that I am through his word. I'm going to begin to pray the way that Paul prays. Yes, I'm going to pray for the people that I know that are facing difficult challenges and for my friend who needs a job and the broken relationship that I've had and all those things. But I'm going to begin to implement and add these kinds of uh, spiritually strengthening prayers so that I would receive spiritual strength. So that when I face a spiritual challenge, when I face the suffering that Paul and God promise will come to us, I don't curl up in a ball. I don't respond in anger, but I say, Lord, what is it that you're doing to shape and refine me to be the person you want me to be so that I can demonstrate the grace of God through the person of Jesus Christ? If you've ever been sailing, you know there's a whole lot to it. It's not just, hey, open up the sail. You got to be in the right position. You have to ride the right ropes. You got to crank the jibs or something like that, probably. You got to know what you're doing. And the way that you know what you're doing is you practice. Small incremental change over time is the way that we become spiritually mature. So today, do an extraordinary prayer. You got your ordinary prayer life? Do a little bit extra. Make it extraordinary. And when that gets to be ordinary, do some extra. That we would be a praying people and we would experience the power of his strength. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.